0: Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST.
1: Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey.
2: Only on PBS.
0: This show is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. my name is dave hanreddy and there will be no popcorn welcome to another episode of no encores music and movies offshoot podcast with my amazing friends and hosts norma Howard. up first <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> how i gotta you? say the giggles now because i interrupted your original lead into the podcast um, I, I, over I,
0: i'm recovering gallantly do not worry uh, yeah and it is exceptional work well done th- that's you. why you're the host
2: and i'm not <laughs> well i mean
0: I, i'm happy to give up this chair anytime dave higgins how are you feeling today I'm very good, and how are you? I'm oh, okay. It's a Sunday. You know, it's gloomy. It's raining every five seconds, but, you know, it's it's nowhere else I'd rather be. So It's very
1: sunny where I am. I know people like to get weather reports from, you know, two weeks ago on, on podcasts, so I feel like David Lynch here. Yeah, very nice.
0: Well, you do have a Zoom backdrop of the diner <laughs> scene from Mulholland Drive, which <laughs> is genuinely upsetting me, if I'm honest with you. But you look great. I, so.
1: I had intended. I, I, I haven't done it. I mean, thankfully for you both, that I would... Periodically, keep zooming in on the uh, on the diner and moving it along until you were greeted by the man behind the diner. Wow. Oh, yeah. But I've I've spared you that.
0: Thanks,
2: thanks. 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 Cheers. thanks.
0: Right on this episode of No Popcorn, we'll be talking about Sound of Metal. The, uh, I was about to call it a documentary. I don't know why I was about to call it a documentary. It's not a documentary, but it kind of feels like it sometimes, I guess, the way it's shot. Uh, it's a film that came out recently on Amazon Prime here in Ireland. Didn't get a cinema release, I don't think, because obviously cinemas are closed. Riz Ahmed in the lead, uh, he was nominated for an Oscar. Paul Racy was nominated for Supporting Actor in the Oscars as well. So it's a film that got awards attention. It's about a drummer who suddenly finds himself going deaf and his reaction to that uh, there will be spoilers for this movie, so like I say, it's on Amazon Prime in Ireland if you want to jump on there. If you have a subscription, I'm not shilling for Amazon, I'm just giving you a legal way to watch the <laughs> film, as we all did. <laughs> They're so paying them. They are not. <laughs> I'm paying them, fucking whatever it is, every month. Anyway, the point is, uh, it's a film that like had a bit of a big build-up and unfortunately didn't quite get the, you know, I guess it got the acclaim, maybe it did or did not deserve, but it didn't really get the kind of big, you know, everyone going to the cinema to see it fanfare, but... I guess it is kind of a headphone's watch. we can get into that as well later in the later in the show, but for now, it's what we've been watching and uh Norma, would you like to go yes. first and tell us what you've been watching please?
2: yeah, so um, I'll keep it short and sweet uh something that was also nominated for an Oscar and won. The Oscar for Best Documentary was My Octopus Teacher. It's up on Netflix. It's been up there for months and I never watched it until I just it came up at the Oscars. and I was like, I'll give that a go. It's absolutely gorgeous. Um, really, really beautiful documentary about a man who sort of I was going to say at sea, which is bad little joke in there. Um, with his life and his career and his sort of his family and things at home. Um, so he decides to uh, make a change in his daily life. And then he comes across an octopus friend in the sea and then he follows her around for, I think, roughly about the course of a year, maybe a year and a bit. And uh, just a friendship that develops between him and this octopus. And that sounds weird, (laughs) but it's actually so beautiful. Um, Amazingly shot like the the undersea Cinematography is—I presume there's an actual proper word for that—is um, absolutely gorgeous. I cried. Um, I was so. going to ask: Would this uh,
0: would this make Dave Higgins cry by any chance? Do we think? I am very vulnerable to octopuses, squids. octopuses
2: are you? Um, (laughs) Like, it sounds such a weird thing to pitch, but it is, it's exceptionally emotional. And he does go into a lot about, like, the idea of connecting with the sea and not seeing as, like, um, an outside environment and just the friendliness that's within the sea and how not everything is a threat type thing. Um, It's just... Absolutely gorgeous. Really, really well paced. Not that long either. I think it's only about an hour 20, maybe an hour and a half is absolutely stunning. Another documentary that I watched that is also absolutely stunning is Making the Grade. It came out in, I think, 2017. It's an Irish documentary by Venom Films. Uh, directed by Ken Wardrop. And it's so gorgeous. It's um, I think you can get it up on Volta. Yeah, Volta, because that's actually where I watched it. It uh, basically follows um, a number of different Irish children as they make their way through their piano grades. So it goes from grade one to grade seven and it just interviews them and the piano teachers. And it's so, so beautiful. It just captures like, I don't know, like Irishness really well. Um and the the kids that feature in it, some of them are just absolutely amazing um again, cried a bit. I don't know if I'm on like a uh, Dave Higgs crying run <laughs> um but yeah there's there's one particular bit where a young girl who's like seemingly like a piano virtuoso she's incredible. She writes a poem for her piano teacher to just tell her how grateful she is for the piano teacher teaching her. I was just like, all right, I'm done. This is so emotional for um, so, yeah, that's really, really gorgeous as well. And then up on Netflix, I watched. this is actually a series. Um, It's an anime series called Yasuke. It is produced by Mappa and Sean Thomas. I believe um, it follows the story of the first black samurai. It's a six part uh, Netflix anime series and it the Samurai Yasuke is voiced by Lekhaith like at Stanfield. And yeah, it was good. I really like anime stuff. It, it actually that the story of Yasuke is really, really well known. I hadn't heard about it before, but apparently uh, like four or five years ago, they were going to develop a live action film with Chadwick Boseman as Yaske, And then whatever, for whatever reason that got stalled. I think he was going to produce it as well and then has obviously was sidelined or I don't know if that will ever come to fruition. Um, but this was developed instead. The music is incredible in it. It's by Flying Lotus and I think he actually uh, developed some of the story in it as well. There's a lot of fantasy elements in it that... Um, I don't know if they work all the time, Um, but the music is amazing throughout it. So I would nearly recommend it just to be like, have a listen to what he does, because it's absolutely incredible. Um, Yeah, because of my... Bit. we'll um
0: we'll get to what i've dubbed my one star season in a few moments because i've been on a bad run of films not necessarily planned it's just kind of worked out that way but higgins i want to know have you watched anything especially emotional yourself in the last few weeks
1: um i, I guess I've, I've watched things that certainly have lots of emotion in them but uh you know making me out as you know some person some softie who's just going to cry all the time i don't think i don't think i have it's been quite a while since i've cried um I, I, you've already mentioned my background, I watched Mulholland Drive last night, not realising that it's actually today, 20 years to the day since it debuted at Cannes, um, and I haven't watched it in about five years, so it was actually quite interesting to watch it, having watched Sunset Boulevard a couple of times in the last you know, year, year and a half, and kind of, they make like very good companion pieces, like David Lynch has always said that it's his favourite film. And kind of seeing where it overlaps, um, and seeing where maybe he got some ideas, and um, yeah, it still has the all the effects, uh, the terror, um, you know, all the all all the kind of big scenes like Naomi Watts's, uh, audition is still just like jaw dropping, um, still haunting, still beautiful, um, and. I was listening to, just on a kind of a side note about David Lynch, I was listening to a rival film podcast, uh, the Team Deacons, Roger Deakins' podcast. Yes, he is a rival. <laughs> and he had Peter Deming on, who is David Lynch's uh, cinematographer, kind of has been since uh, Wild at Heart, and he's kind of gone on to film everything he's done since then. And he was kind of talking about uh, how David Lynch like does things. And Roger Deakins is obviously the greatest probably cinematographer that's ever lived. And he's, he's like a good interviewer. He, he, he does the podcast with his partner and she has a very kind of like NPR vibe. But he sometimes, it's like he doesn't have the broadcaster skill. So he's not very good at hiding like when he just like doesn't like something or he's like, oh, that's not the way I would do it. And it's very funny to listen to Peter Deming talk about how David Lynch is essentially like, you know, no storyboards. You just go on set and you kind of, you set up and David Lynch would be like, I've got an idea. And then you go and do this. And he's like, oh yeah, that looks kind of cool. And Peter Deming was talking about how like all the time, like he'd do something that he thought was a mistake or an aberration. And David Lynch is like, you need to do that again. He's like, no, no, I messed up. And he's like, do that again or you know they'd be taking the lens out of the camera and putting it like back in he's like oh i like what you did there and he's like no that, that's not david that's not a thing and he's like yeah we're gonna do that <laughs> and like roger deacon's trying to hide the sheer disdain he has for like the idea of working like this uh is very very funny i don't expect if there is another return to twin peaks that uh, Deeks will be We'll be doing it. Um, I finished off De- P.T. Jesus. April. <laughs> yeah. <Wow>. Twin Deeks. <laughs> uh, I, I I'm con- con- coming to the end of P.T. April. I kind of mentioned it before. I don't really want to go into it. I mean, yes, I, I love him. Uh, Rewatch There Will be Blood. If you want to know my opinions on that, we did a podcast about it. But just one thing that I got very, very angry about, which is stupid. You know, I, I should have known this, what would happen. I watched There Will be Blood. I was like, oh God, that was fantastic go into Letterbox and I kind of I log it again and then I'm like going to my friends and it's just like a sea of five stars. And then, you know, people are like, you know, uh, an artistic triumph. You know, the boy, the boy Anderson has done it again. David Hanrady, three stars.
0: Yep. And what do they yeah. say in my
1: review? <laughs> David Hanrady, you know, one of the great artistic three, uh, statements of the 21st four. century, three out of five for me not for me
0: and i think i said in my review i don't get the fuss sorry (laughs) it's my entire review well, it's listen, er, everyone's thought it different opinions. Of uh, course. Am I right in saying, by the way, that you've been... Um, Yours is distinctly different from everyone else. <laughs> it, it usually is. Um, am I right in saying that you've been burning through some some of the filmography of Pedro Almodovar and not having a great time, judging by your own letterbox scores? Am I... Yeah, pretty-
1: I, I've... I've uh, P.T. April has given way to Almedovar. Um, Tremendous, so just incredible work. I love amazing. it. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it, started, it started well. Um, I watched Pain and Glory, which is a movie that you really loved. I loved it as well. Uh incredibly affecting kind of Florizia Antonio Banderas it's just like it's such a remarkable performance and kind of one that makes me wish that he not that he was in more stuff because he's in lots of stuff I just wish he was in the right stuff if you know what I mean um, but from there it's kind of gone a bit downhill uh, I watched Bad Education which um, is from 2004 Um, with Gail Garcia Bernal he's fantastic in it it's like a kind of a twisty noir story with him kind of as the as the fatale in it which is interesting um uh, but yeah it just doesn't really hit home and it's got like a really dodge ending um so kind of one of his his weaker ones even though it's kind of quite well revered and yesterday i watched i'm so excited which is essentially just like his idea of a romp um his airplane essentially um there's lots of it that's fun. Uh, Javier Camara, who's kind of a regular for him, primarily in uh, Talk to Her, is fantastic in it. There's, like, a great musical number in the middle of it. Um, and, yeah, like, it's it's supposed to be kind of, you know, very easygoing, but, you know, the thing about Omotovar is he gets away with a lot in terms of what he puts in his movies, uh, particularly around, you know, like... Sexual assault and, they that, kind of tends to be a theme in a lot of his movies. And sometimes it's you know it it makes sense within the sense of the story and there is a cause and effect to it. While in this one, it's just played off as an absolute laugh, which is just like it's an absolute clunker. It kind of essentially crashes the entire movie. Um, so it wasn't wasn't the best. But I've I've got some of his good ones. I've got Broken Embraces and Volvere, and I'm gonna watch uh, All About My Mother again. So. There, that's Hopefully it will take a turn. Uh, and then just briefly, I watched Loveless, which is a Russian film from a couple of years ago, directed by Andrei uh, Zvagintsev. And he made a movie, Leviathan, about five years ago, which is amazing. Um, and he's kind of a very, very vocal critic, in his work of uh, Putin's Russia and what it's like, um, like Leviathan itself, he like took funding from the Russian film board and then they were like, you made this, you're essentially like persona non grata here, you never getting money from us again. Um, so this one is about a, a couple who are essentially, their marriage is like falling asunder and they actively hate each other and their son goes missing. So they kind of have to come back together and try and find them. Um, yeah, it's a really, really, really cynical film. Like, you could make a movie about uh, Putin's Russia and it could be very kind of cartoonish in terms of, like, what it's like to live under a, a dictator. But the thing that he does in this and better in Leviathan is just, like, the kind of a bureaucratical bullshit that kind of bogs everyone down there to the point that just nobody gives a shit about anything. Um, this one's a bit clunky. It kind of is like very on the nose in terms of like what it wants to say. You know, it leans heavily on, um, which is never something I love where it's like stuff that's on the TV or that people are listening onto the radio is doing a lot of kind of the heavy lifting. Uh, it has like one striking visual in it that is like so incredibly uh, forced that I just like, I can't believe it kind of made it into it. Um, Amazing performances. It looks great. It looks austere, dour, but yeah, a bit of a misfire and yeah, aside from that, I've just been being very
0: beige and watching Ted Lasso which I don't really want I I gave that one episode and I was like nah not for me. Uh, Speaking of misfires though uh, I've stumbled into many over the course of the last few (laughs) weeks. Um, My film watching is all over the place. I mean I've been looking uh, at your
1: letterbox and worrying about you.
0: I've been waiting for this. I'm surprised there hasn't been like a WhatsApp message to be like are you right?" Because I've been watching a lot of bad movies and like even like last night I watched like Now You See Me being like I know this isn't going to be good.
2: I literally told you not to. It was was, like half
0: ten and I was like I wonder watch a movie in something light and like a, it wasn't yeah it's two out of five but but films that i would rate one out of five here's four of them that i've watched in the last recent while uh higgs mentioned this film before the, the jessica chastain starring ava which I watched. Um, Bad movie. She's like an assassin. Colin Farrell's in it with his natural accent, which is great. He's got a terrible haircut. Uh, He has a knockdown drag-out brawl with John Malkovich at one stage, which is kind of worth the price of admission. I would pay money to see a real-life fight between those two. Don't know who would win. Very curious to see how that would end up. I feel like John Malkovich has got some stuff in his locker. Uh, It's just incredibly generic and not good. Um, It's everything that you think it will be. Directed by Tate Taylor, who's a total fucking nobody otter. Uh, I only found out after the fact, actually, that, like, the guy who wrote it was supposed to direct it, and it turns out he's a horrible, abusive prick, so that's why he was bounced off the project, so I felt worse about having committed my 90 minutes to this nothing film. Just really bad, just, like, you know, post-John Wick kind of stuff, you know, like, throw in these actors, completely generic, nothing to it whatsoever, but I will say, Colin Farrell speaking in a Dublin accent, slash beating the shit out of John Malkovich, that's what, that, that's what gets you your one star. Um... Also watched uh, a film called The Last Days of American Crime, which is a good title, I would say, but a very, very bad film. And I knew this was going to be terrible. Um, all the reviews for it came out about a year ago when it came out. It has a 0% on Rotten Tomatoes, so it's in that <laughs> exclusive club. Um, it stars Edgar Ramirez and Michael Pitt, and it's a, based on a graphic novel. It's about basically like there's a signal that has been developed that will uh, broadcast around America and it will short circuit the brains of anybody who's committing a crime or is trying to commit a crime. So therefore, it will do away with crime. Um, there's a moment early on where, like, some people like make a run for the Canadian border, but get gunned down by military men with machine guns. It's like, why can't they just leave? This makes no sense. Um, it's crap. It's edgy. It's like, I think in my letterbox review, I said something like. Um, uh, the world's angriest teenager has more grace and nuance in a stream of their piss than this film. And it, that's absolutely something I stand by. It's just gross. I knew it would be. <laughs> it's two and a half hours long. It has Charlotte Copley in maybe the most nothing subplot, nothing role of all time. Further cementing his status as one of the worst actors to happen along in the past decade. It's directed by Olivia Megaton. I, I, there's nothing like I knew be, Patrick Bergen shows up at one stage and gets a fucking tomahawk in his head it's so bad it's gross
2: can I just can I just ask Dave Why I, did I, watch I generally it? I generally try to have a rule that if I start a film I'll finish it like I don't mm-hmm, enjoy mm-hmm. turning something off I think there's only probably two films I've never walked out of a cinema but there's maybe like two films that I've started to watch and been like I genuinely can't get through the rest of this Two and a half hours, why didn't you just shut it off? Well, hang on, which two
0: films were there that you that you turned off? I have to know.
2: I... Uh, two was kind of a number I threw out there because it seems about right. But I don't exactly... There was definitely one film i don't know come back to me <laughs> okay
0: wow okay uh, suspense i i, I walked I out of a film when i was 10 i think i walked out of babe <laughs> uh when, when uh, james cromwell started dancing and hit his and hit his head off the ceiling i went that's it for me and i left the cinema that's a true story um i walked out of lots of films for a while like it's it's something i find very satisfying i, I find it more satisfying when people walk out when i'm at a film though um it, it, it's a rite of passage you have to do it i've only done one walk out ever and it was it was kind of a forced walk out when I
1: was I went to see the Phantom, the Billy Zane uh, oh, wow. comic book, you know, him Strad in purple uh, Lycra. Lycra. Um and it was more a case of everyone I was with walked out. But I I would have happily sat there, but like I was I I guess whatever age ten or eleven, I didn't really have I didn't have it within me to be like, no, I will sit and watch this movie. So I just followed the herd.
0: I had that exact experience during Chain Reaction, starring Keanu Reeves and Morgan Freeman, I believe. And uh, Dave's future favorite actor, Brian Cox. But um, yeah, I it, it's a valid question, Norma. I think I just wanted to see it through. I threw on Running Scared a few nights ago, the Paul Walker film from like the mid 2000s, which I've actually seen a couple of times. And about 10 minutes and I went, actually, you know what? Nah, but I've seen that before. So I did turn that off. But generally, I do want to see it through.
2: I can remember one of them. I don't remember what the other one was, but there's a film called Isn't it Romantic? Featuring Rebel Wilson. It's a rom-com, probably one of the worst things (laughs) ever. That's a recent so enough bad. one then, isn't it? It is. It's only from like 2019. I think it came out around Valentine's Day. And like, again, I'm very easy to like throw a film on when you're just at home, whatever's on Netflix. If you're like making dinner, chilling out and you're just like, oh, I just want a movie kind of there, which is what I thought that would be, that it would just sort of be background noise. It was so bad that I was like, I can't even like pretend I'm not. Taking in what's being said. So I switched it off. So, anyone listening, don't ever watch that film.
0: Yeah, and don't watch Last Days of American Crime either, unless you want to see Michael Pitt do a splice impression of Heat Ledger's Joker and uh, Al Pacino's Tony Montana. At least he's trying to inject some life into proceedings. And I do like Michael Pitt, he's got a vague charisma I enjoy. Edgar Ramirez, meanwhile, an actor who I don't mind, is just the biggest charisma void in this movie I've ever seen. His character is called Graham Brick. And he's called Brick for the entire film. He has incredible hair i 'll give him that right it 's tousled to within an inch of its life it's covered in blood he's a very, very handsome man, good for him, not a good film it's gross, bad. Uh, I also watched a film called tau like t a u it 's an hour and a half uh It stars Mike Monroe, who I continue to want the best for, but i'm very concerned about her career. uh She broke out in the guest, and it follows she's a really good actor. She popped up briefly in that Greta film I mentioned, which is not good. She's in Independence Day 2. Um, I don't know what else she's been in. She pops up and stuff here and there. She's very good. And this is just trash. This is like, she plays a girl who gets kidnapped by Ed Screen, who's another bad actor. And he's got this super high-tech home. He's got, like, it's got a big computer in it that, like, controls everything. And the computer is evil, or is it? She tries to befriend it, try to try to escape, and tries to teach the computer about music and life and things. Uh, the computer is voiced by Gary Oldman in one of the most bizarre things. I mean, I have to Has anyone checked
2: in on Gary Oldman lately? <laughs> I
0: have to presume he did this in three hours from the comfort of his living room and didn't leave the couch because it is absolutely baffling. I have no... Like he, he's made trash before. He'll make trash again, which I'll be talking about in about 30 seconds. But I'm just uh, baffled by this. I knew it would be bad. But again, it was your classic, like, it's Wednesday night. It's half ten. It's an hour and a half. I want to watch a movie. Let's do it. And finally, and all of these are on Netflix by the way, which just says so much about their their hiring policy when it comes to movies. Brand new for 2021, The Woman in the Window, a film that I wrote a a trailer story on for Joe in December of 2019 finally arrives in May of 2021, a full one year after its originally proposed release date. Seems like a combination of the pandemic and it just being shopped around and nobody wanting it, apart from Netflix who will take anything, has led to this finally arriving. Um, Joe Wright has directed this and he has over-directed this to the point where criminal charges should probably be brought to his door. Um, It's a fascinating kind of backstory to this. So the woman in the window, if you think, well, Dave, that sounds like the girl on the train or Gone Girl. Correct, it is. It was written as a book by a publishing executive, purely to tie in with market demands under a pseudonym called AJ Finn the real writer is called Daniel Mallory and he wrote a it's a cynical exercise in in creating it and of course it became a bestseller and here's the movie um Amy Adams stars as a kind of reclusive agoraphobic who's getting over a trauma that you should be able to figure out in about 10 seconds um, she thinks she witnesses a murder across the road and then is gaslit essentially what's really going on the cast for this is unbelievable you got Amy Adams, Julianne Moore, Jennifer Jason Lee, Gary Oldman, Anthony Mackie, Brian Tyree Henry Tracy Letts wrote it and is in it as well uh, Wyatt Russell, the son of Kurt Russell who's really cool he's in there as well um, it's god awful, it's so bad it's it's trash in that kind of like higgs i've never lamented the loss of our choosing our trash (laughs) adventures to the cinema to see a film for five year or whatever it is because who boy um it's it's really really bad but i will say that like when it gets to the big denouement and the big like what's really going on climax um I was sitting here yesterday in my room watching this film and there was a moment where I burst out laughing and I had a hearty chortle at something that's meant to be scary and sinister and I just I laughed loud but then approximately a minute later I fucking lost it I just could not stop laughing it's diabolically outrageous it's so stupid it's terrible And I'm sure it'll be like the number one most watched film in the country today, probably since its arrival on Netflix. But absolutely terrible. Um, No one gets away clean from this one. Joe Wright, go away. (laughs) Stop. Uh, And finally. Let's go back to
2: period stuff. Maybe. Yeah, maybe so. I mean, uh, and finally, uh, a good
0: film, I guess. I watched uh, Stronger, which stars Jake Gyllenhaal. Tatiana Maslany. Uh, It's a film about Jeff Bowman, a real-life survivor of the 2013 Boston Marathon bombing in which he lost uh, the lower half of his legs and has to learn to kind of make himself whole again, essentially, both mentally and physically. Um, Directed by David Gordon Green. It's a film I just kind of missed when it came out in 2017 and, you know, I'm kind of... I I like a lot of Jake Gyllenhaal films and I haven't seen a lot of them, so I gave this a go. Uh, It's good. It's not amazing. It's kind of formulaic in, in, in that it hits beats that it has to hit, but... Performances are very, very strong. I think Jake Chilnhall is very good in it. Tatiana Maslany, who people might know from Orphan Black, is excellent in this. She is absolutely brilliant. Everything she does, from facial expressions to um, dialogue to the way she moves, to just every single scene she's in, she's incredible. Miranda Richardson plays his mother, and she has incredible, awkward Boston mom energy, and she's very, very scene-steely as well. It's fine. Uh, It's a strong three out of five, I suppose. Um, Kind of hits some kind of cliché beats, but it has interesting stuff in there about like PTSD and survivor guilt and parasocial relationships and people being forced into horrible situations that they don't want to be in and people's expectations of them as a result so yeah good definitely better than the other four i've mentioned so yeah but i mean i don't know i will say if you if you suffer through the woman in the window i promise you the ending is absolutely hilarious so it's probably worth it just for that and that's what we've been watching <laughs> right <laughs> let's talk about a film that's better than those as well uh, it's sound of metal it's out now here's the trailer you sound great yeah, right. What you're telling me you weren't feeling it? You were in it. Hey, we, don't need to, we don't need to put them all out. I know, oh, but we just need
2: to film. <laughs> you're hearing
0: is deteriorating rapidly. We'll come back. Till then, Lou, we just keep going, okay? No. Lou, no. Let's play them all. Let's see what it's like. Okay? I'ma be like a
2: click track. You can play to me. You have to understand. Your first responsibility is to preserve the hearing you have. I can't hear you. Do you understand me? I can't. I'm deaf! I'm deaf! I'm deaf.
0: The film is Sentimental, directed by Darius Marder, starring Riz Ahmed, Olivia Cook, and Paul Racy. Dave Higgins, tell us the plot. And like I say, there will be spoilers on this podcast, so Yeah, uh
1: so this is about Ruben Stone, who is the drummer in like a noise metal band called Black Gammon, uh, along with his partner Lou. And they kind of live kind of you know, not unlike I suppose the the ain't rights in uh in green room where they're kind of traveling around in a not a van an rv it's a little bit more idyllic um and they're playing shows until one day ruben his hearing just goes uh, kind of out of nowhere there's kind of there's, it's not a it's not a slow degradation it's just quite literally just goes overnight um, so he tries to basically kind of look for like fixes to kind of keep going on until you know he realizes when talking with lou that um this may may not come back. Uh, there are some options for him that he can look into, but um the loss of hearing also brings back his addiction issues. Uh, he is a recovering heroin addict, and he kind of gets the impulse to kind of fall back on that uh, when he's hit with this trauma so he 's brought to a um an addiction clinic for for deaf people that 's kind of out in the middle of out in the middle of the woods, run by Joe, uh, played by Paul Racy, And there he kind of just kind of has to essentially, like he's given a task of learning to become deaf and learning to deal with this new thing in his life. Um, And he also kind of is still kind of holding on to the idea that he can kind of basically just go back to normal. He can go back to uh, to playing in the band with Lou. Um, And it's about kind of his realization of what his future holds.
0: Norma, this is a film that you've been waiting for for quite some time, I believe. Did it live up to your expectations? What did you think?
2: Um, Yeah, I'd been kind of excited to see it because I just thought that, um, like, the basic storyline just seemed really interesting. And I'd heard a lot about the sound design. Um, Or I guess because there's no score necessarily in this film. Um, I just heard lots of really interesting things about it. Riz Ahmed was being nominated for a number of different awards. Um, I think the sound design was also nominated for a lot of things and Paul Racy. So, yeah, I just thought it was um, an interesting take on things. It's uh, like deafness or being part of the deaf community um, whilst trying to interpret music is not something I knew a lot about. So, when I watched the film, I was really interested to actually I ended up just like looking up tons of stuff about it because it is a actually a really, really interesting thing for like I don't suffer any loss of hearing. um, And I actually and then I watched it again to see which I think helped me a lot. The first time I was like, OK, I think I have a like I know a good understanding of that film and this is what I think of it. And then I think on the second watch. I focused in on other things and other elements of it and a little bit more of the nuance of the film. And um, I actually enjoyed it a lot more the second time. Um, So, yeah.
0: Uh, Higgs, were you of a similar kind of nature? I mean, I feel like it's a film that, like, I hadn't heard of until I just kept seeing the image of Riz Ahmed, you know, Bleach blonde hair, shirtless, at a drum kit. I just kept seeing that pop up everywhere. And I was like, well, that's an arresting image. You know, obviously as a drummer myself, of course, I'm I'm curious to see what stories. <laughs> and I believe he did learn how to play drums and uh, does an adequate job, I would say. Um, You don't see him playing it that often, but like we can talk about the band itself later on. Um, it, It's one of those ones, right, where like it just comes out of nowhere. And all of a sudden, like it's just you see like like indie darling cred kind of stacking up. As Norm mentions, there was awards attention all the way to the top of the Oscars uh, in terms of nominations, but not wins. And it does seem to be, like, very, very critically acclaimed. Uh, It seems to to generate a fairly big reaction people who do see it. Uh, What was your own kind of, I guess, walk-in expectations on this one? Um,
1: Yeah, uh, definitely, like you said, I think I I don't know even if I'd watched the trailer before I watched it. Like, that image of Riz Ahmed at the drums was kind of... And, like, just the logline of what it's going to be about. I was like, that's kind of enough for me. Um, I've been a big fan of Riz Ahmed for basically since i guess seeing him in four lions and then kind of seeing him pop up in uh night crawler and the night of and he's kind of been in a bit of a studio uh spin for the last while like making like big temple movies where he's not really being used as well as kind of you'd like to see him so the fact that like he's front and center in this movie i was like okay i'm i'm interested um the fact that it kind of has like a little bit of DNA with uh, Derek France, who's a director I like, not love, but he kind of, his movies have always been kind of very music adjacent, whether it be a Grizzly Bear score or a Mike Patton score, or throwing some Bonnie Vare in and seeing that he was one of the writers in it and that Darius Marder, who directed it, had also kind of worked on his. I was like, okay, there's a very, if they share a uh, sensibility, it's very kind of lived in, it's very raw, it's very humanistic. So um, I was curious to see what it would be like for you know uh what they would do with a story about a metal drummer um I was kind of taken back by you know when when it first um when it first, when 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 Reuben first starts losing his hearing that you're kind of just like you're you're kind of in with him in, in this kind of quest to be like getting it back and um I kind of hadn't really considered where the movie was going to go and it was whether it was just going to be like he's just gonna try and get it back and he's gonna still be able to play on. But um I found that its switch essentially to um being about the deaf community was incredibly affecting and it's it's opening up a world that we don't really see in movies. Um I mean I, I don't think I mean, we've done two movies before that have deaf characters, but, like, they're kind of in the background in Nashville or HW, and There Will Be Blood is, again, like, he's a supporting character, but, like, in terms of, like, putting someone front and centre and giving their experience, um, yeah, it was just very, very eye-opening into, like, number one, how things are done. Like, I kind of had an idea of, um, you know, how people... You know communicate and communicate with other people who aren't deaf but yeah i just found that immersion into that world both um through visuals through casting through particularly sound design in, in terms of like what it would be like to to lose your hearing was uh fantastic
0: so it happens for ruben i think it's during a gig and he goes outside and there's ringing in his ears and if you're watching it on headphones i tend to watch all, like almost all the films i watch i watch on headphones and the sound design is genuinely incredible like I mean it really like you know whether it's ringing or whether it's just like distorted noises like it really does kind of burrow in uh, in that way Um, so let's take a listen to Ruben learning of his diagnosis and then we'll kind of talk about how the film handles this from uh, a couple of different points of view. This is your chart Ruben now as far as the volume
2: that you can hear you on your right ear were 28% and on your left ear you were 24% What? And the left ear, you came in at 24%. Okay. No matter how loud I made the test, I could have put it at 11, you are still going to miss 70 to 80% of the words that I said. Okay. That is not good. Yeah, I see that. So what, <clears throat> what can we do about it? How do I get it back? Well, um, you have to understand something here.
0: Whether or not this is related to your exposure to noise, or it's an autoimmune issue, doesn't really matter. I understand I got a problem. I'm asking you what I can do about it. So that's Riz Ahmed. There, kind of somewhere, I'd say almost in, in in denial a bit about a situation, or at least looking to challenge it as best he can. Um, I think with this film, like sensitivity is 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 a really interesting word. Like, it's paramount when it comes to the presentation of this. Because even if you go onto YouTube for that scene and you see that a lot of the comments are people saying, "I'm a drummer and this is my worst nightmare," or you know, "I'm just a not a musician and this is my worst nightmare." I think it's interesting that like the film certainly, I think in its opening stretches treats this idea as like it plays on natural human fears if you are someone who has had perfect hearing for I guess your adult life and then all of a sudden it's gone or it's going and you're told this in a very sobering way in a doctor's office and I think ultimately like you know for a viewer or for anyone who may w- well have those fears or not it's a natural thing it's, like it's almost like you know you talk about like you know oh, if you lost a sense if you lost a limb but of course you know in in, in dealing with it on that kind of almost horror movie level. I think the film does a very good job of with the sound design in particular of making you feel uncomfortable. You also need to step back like Ruben does and realize that actually there shouldn't be a demonization here. That's not what this is. It's about adjusting in your life and about dealing with things. And of course, if you're in his position it must be incredibly intense and he reacts obviously very intensely to it. But as Higgs kind of mentions, the film does move into a different kind of territory and one about understanding and about community and about uh, life and the fact that like there's still so much life for him to live. Like this is not as, you know, it's not a death sentence, essentially. And I think the film, I I think the film gets that balance right. Uh, Norma, what did you think about that overall, especially because you've seen the film twice now? I know you've done a lot of reading on it as well.
2: Yeah, like I 100% agree, particularly on that second watch, just um, actually getting to sit with the representation of the deaf community on screen more. And just like Higgs was saying, there's just little things that you think, as someone who is of full hearing, that you understand how they communicate to each other. But like, we don't, we don't at all. So I think using Ruben as that sort of, key to unlocking the door into that community is really, really well handled because the start of the film, it moves so fast. Like you said, like it's like we open the film, he's playing a gig and instantly there's a problem and then it escalates so quickly. Um, And then he's then like decisions are made really quickly. His girlfriend Lou is like, I'm going to call Hector. I think it's Hector who's his um, sponsor. And he suggests going to um Joe's place, which is the the deaf community that also helps addicts. Um and uh yeah, like the start of the film almost it kind of feels like you've been sort of caught in the air and like dumped into a freezing cold lake and you're kinda of like, Oh god, I don't know what's going on here. This is frightening and terrifying and by the end of it you're a head above water treading and it's manageable and it's fine and you do feel a sense of comfort at the end of the film as well. Yeah, like just getting those moments of realising that um, deafness is just you learn a new language and it's a new way to interpret sound and a new way of interpreting life and how you live it. And also, I guess, in a way, by the end of it, I felt like I would have I now feel like I have a, a more of awareness of just sounds and motion around me and what it is i can perceive and how that would change and stuff like that it was just yeah really affecting
1: yeah um and i think uh riz Ahmed obviously has has been uh on the on the interview tours going around and kind of talking about his experiences of of kind of immersing himself in that world and what he says is kind of eye opening that um you know to 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 us, maybe, or before you kind of come into this movie, you could see that the loss of hearing is just to that. It is a loss, but it's, you know, this movie does a very good job of kind of telling you all the things that you would gain. Um, and he kind of talks about how... You know, in terms of, he says, like, kind of that deaf people are the best listeners and, like, they're the best communicators because, like, you're, when you're communicating with people, like, you're using your whole body and you're being incredibly expressive. And in terms of, uh, you know, understanding of people, like, that they, uh, the deaf community is, is incredible in that way. So, yeah, like, that's not something that you kind of really would have thought about before. And then you're kind of being, uh, brought into it, uh, by this. And, yeah, and like in, ter- in terms of his full immersion, I think like he does a an incredible job. Like he was kind of told basically after Darius Marder gave him the script, he's like, "Um, like there's two conditions to this movie: you need to drum, you need to learn ASL." Um, and he completely got into that, and you know he's kind of talked about how he feels kind of you know having learned that that new language that it's like it's it's in a more more important language maybe to have than like being able to speak like you know French or being able to speak Spanish or something he's just like I kind of grew as a person through this language and that's kind of like uh, underscores everything that's kind
0: of in this movie so we mentioned the character of Lou played by Olivia Cook, who I think I previously saw in Ready Player One which is a very different film it must be said um they his first his kind of initial reactions of course to this are like i say like he's kind of in denial he's challenging it he's freaking out and of course as mentioned the character is an addict as well and there's the possibility of that flaring up too so she's trying to be there for him she's like writing down words on paper he's you know he's quite impatient as you could probably understand given his position eventually it kind of builds to a point where she's like you have to go to this kind of i guess commune you have to go to this kind of uh, area and like try and rebuild um and their relationship both professional and personal is fracturing so here is them kind of parting ways for a bit uh, it's an emotional scene take a listen to it now
2: ah oh, jesus Luke, come on ruben ruben you hurt yourself ruben you hurt yourself you hurt me i'll hurt myself too i'll hurt myself too promise Say it, Ruby, or all of this is for shit. Say it, promise. Go back there right now, promise, say it. I promise if you- No, say it, promise. Oh. Go back to that place. I only, If I, I need
0: I need you to wait for me. Okay, you're it for me, Lou, you're my fucking heart. You're it for me. Okay, you gotta wait for me.
1: Fuck.
2: Listen to me, listen, listen, when you get there, I need you to, I need you to write to me, okay? Yeah, when you write me, when you tell me
1: you're okay? Huh, promise me? And listen, if it's, if it's bullshit, you just get your ass back here, I'll fix it, I swear to God. You know I'll fucking fix this, it's not that hard,
0: okay? Just come back here. I love My you. fucking heart. Okay. There are some tough scenes in this film. Uh, I think the performances are generally quite on point. Uh, Higgs, was this always the original cast? I mean, was there anyone else up for this? And has there been kind of much conversation in the way of casting? You know, Riz Ahmed obviously has full scope of his hearing. Has that kind of been a bit of a, a bit of an issue? I know Paul Racy who's spoken about this before. He was talking about like it's very very hard to kind of sell a film, you know, like unless you have a star. So it's a tough position. I think a lot of the, like a lot of parts in this film have actors who've not have full hearing and I think it is a case of trying to balance it as best you can but like, I don't know, I mean like, like what do you know of the kind of casting process on this?
1: Yeah, so this this movie's kind of been um, knocking about for like nearly 15 years so uh, Derek France, who gets a story credit on it had, you know, this is before he made Blue Valentine had the idea for this movie. He was a, uh, he was a drummer himself and he kind of experienced like some, uh, hearing loss, you know, more like a degradation than like, you know, uh, anything that would be considered like what Ruben has. And he had the idea of like doing like a docudrama, uh, called metalhead, um, with one of the bands who actually kind of show up, they have like a small cameo called Jusfer and his idea was that he'd go on the road with them and kind of film with them as themselves. But then they'd also kind of bring in this storyline where, uh, one of them would lose their hearing, didn't really seem to work. And that's kind of, um, he kind of parked the project and essentially just gave it to Darius Martyr, who um, took it over, made it fully fiction and has been kind of working on it for, yeah, he says about 10 years himself, uh, trying to get the funding. It was set up originally with um, Matthias Schonert, um, incredible Belgian actor as Ruben and Dakota Johnson as Lou. Yeah, it's it, it's interesting when you see you know we compare Matthias Schoenartz and Riz Ahmed. Like physically, you'd look at Matthias Schoenartz and like yes, you look like a metal drummer. You are a human tank, and you know if you if you want to you know draw a comparison with like a movie he made like Bullhead, where it's like you're you're using the size of this person and then you're taking something away from them, and uh, you know it would be very kind of um you know it, it would work but i don't think it kind of surprises you the way uh riz ahmed does where you know until recently like if you, your first introduction to riz ahmed like in like the night of or nightcrawler like he can be quite like in those movies he's a bit of a walkover like people just like treat him like shit and he's a little bit milk-a-toast while in this like he's bulked up he's essentially got the he's got the Ryan Gosling look in The Place Beyond the Pines. It's just like, you know, bleach that blonde hair, get those tats on, uh, hit the gym. So it's, it's, it, he's, not a, he's not someone that you kind of would have expected in this role. Um, similarly, Olivia Cook, who, again, I, I, I'm only really seeing her in, in Ready Player One. Uh, she has like a very kind of Mia Goth vibe in this. Uh, I think she's really good. But yeah, in terms of you're saying about is it okay for Riz to be playing this role, I think yes I mean like if this was a movie where um, all the supporting cast like if you if you get to Joe's shelter and then you're like oh I know that person from that show I know that person from that show like yeah th- that that would be a major problem for me and I think it's great that they have representation using non-actors in that role it gives it like a very lived in feel but like ultimately this is a movie about someone who has kind of uh, it, you know goes from a place of hearing to not hearing so I don't know if if the movie is doable the other way around. And like you said, um, or Paul Racy said that you kind of do need a star. And to be honest, which it's not like Riz Ahmed is like opening this movie. Like this movie was cobbled together with money from here, money from there. Um, when uh, Darius Marder was like trying to get it made originally, studios were like there's like three actors that could open this movie that we would put into it. I don't know who those three actors are, to be honest with you. I don't even know who o- can open a movie like this, you know, and just get it financed. So I think if they hadn't uh, filled out the rest of the cast um, and then bringing in someone like Paul Racy, who is, both his parents were deaf and grown up um, in that world and is you know, on top of being an incredible actor, I would imagine just like an incredible person to have on set. And in terms of like making sure things are done right, like he floated the idea to Darius Marder that this movie in cinemas would have open captioning, which is you've probably seen the turned on closed captioning on your Netflix sometimes or if you're watching Tenet and want to know what they're saying. <laughs> um, open captioning is essentially just like burned onto the screen, like a subtitled movie you'd go to see. So that's incredible because movies aren't like that. And if you, if you are deaf and you want to go see a movie, you kind of have to find one that's closed captioning while he's just been like, no, this is how it is like in the entire movie, which is incredibly inclusive. And there's a nice, there's a nice twist on it in that, um, you know, it's open captioning for the whole movie until people start using ASL. And then you as the, you know, as the person who can hear having a clue what's going on, and then you're subjectively put into, how Ruben is so I think they handle everything really really well
0: um in this There was also a thing where like um you know Ruben initially has no idea what, what like what is being said in terms of the sign language and then once he learns subtitles do appear on the screen so it's mm. like we're learning with him Norma what did you think of the casting and also particularly with the relationship between Ruben and Lou as well
2: Um, Yeah, kind of off what Higgs was saying, I was looking up interviews with Paul Racy, where he he basically said that he knew once the film came out, like preemptively, he was like, I know we're going to get a little bit of flack for this because like there should be as much deaf community representation on screen as is possible. But he felt that his character, his character is a war vet who lost his hearing um, returning from war. So he felt that. Both Reuben and Joe could be played by actors who have their full sense of hearing because they technically like they lose it at an adult point in their life, as opposed to being born deaf or losing it at a very young age. Whereas the rest of the supporting cast are, I think, more or less from the deaf community. Um, in fact, Jeremy Lee Stone, who is the um, AS- ASL coach features in the film quite heavily. And apparently um, Darius Marder said there's certain sections of the film that he allowed Jeremy Lee Stone to direct because he felt like he understood a bit more about certain things. Like there's a moment where they're all sitting around having dinner and um, even down to the table is round. And the idea in the deaf community of having a round table is that everyone can see everyone else. Because if you have a table with your four corners, there's a chance you can't see someone and then you can't hear them. So it's like moments like that. When I looked it up afterwards, I was like, that is so fascinating and so well done. Um, And particularly that Darius Martyr was able to kind of hand over certain sequences to Stone to be able to say, is this accurate? Is this actually how it would be like how can we make it as natural as possible um Chelsea Lee who plays I can't remember the name of the the female character Jen Jen yes thank you um her and Ruben develop a really close relationship um and uh yeah it's just really interesting seeing stuff like that and even like you were saying having um Following Ruben's kind of story throughout and when he learns sign language, then you can actually see the subtitles on the screen, even things like I felt like there was points in the film where I was like, oh, I've seen them do that signing before. So I I now understand what that is as well, which is just a really amazing thing that I felt because I was like, oh, like there's a motion that um, Jeremy Lee Stone does at one point towards his throat, which is kind of like a locking motion, which means switch off your voice. So when um, you're doing sign language and you're also still voicing the words, it can be like difficult um, with the deaf community. So they ask you to switch off your voice completely or to try and not use as much sound. Things like that, I just thought were Really, really incredible. So I th- I felt like the casting suited um, really, really well. I know there's been a lot of discussion around the film. Like some people within the deaf community don't feel like it's was the best choice. But then there are other people who felt like it did represent the deaf community really, really well and shined a spotlight on a lot of different things, particularly its involvement of a lot of young kids, like the sequences where Ruben is kind of adapting to being deaf more and he starts teaching the kids drumming because you can sense the vibration of the beat. And I think he can still kind of hear very, very low tones. That's the impression I got from it anyway, that he still has a kind of a sense of maybe loud and softness. um, And just, yeah, like how a musician actually adapts to being a member of the deaf community and sensing things through vibration and just learning to interpret music in a very different way. It, It was just incredible. And a lot of that stuff I only picked up on On like the second go round, because the first time around, I feel like you're kind of like, oh, my God, I'm being thrown into this world and I'm trying to pick up on everything. And on that second watch, it was just that little bit more emotive for me. And I feel like I understood a lot more about what was actually being said.
0: Yeah, and uh, actually, let's take a quick listen to the band, uh, because I I do want to talk about Ruben and Lou as a relationship as well for a second. But uh, as Higgs notes, they're a noise metal band. They're called Black Gammon, and this is what they sound like. So definitely the kind of band that I feel like Higgs and myself would have seen open up for the likes of Dillinger or Death Grips or Bitch Falcon or Fucked Up. Uh, You've written down the notes here. What do we think about Blackgammon? Uh, (laughs) Music music critic Dave Time, got to be brutally honest, I think they're pretty terrible. Higgs, what did you think?
1: Yeah, I, I I was quite literally being like, I've seen this band live before, and I was probably just like, "Do you eh, want to go for a pint?" Yeah, precisely. They have such
0: <laughs> they have such opening like like opening act energy. They've such like whether it's a festival or going into like a cavernous kind of big you know, warehouse and just being like checking them out for the first song, and then being like, yeah, literally turning to your mate and just being like, "Bar," like, you know, like like that's that, um, which did make me kind of nostalgic for those kind of nights. Which hopefully are coming back soon. But go on.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't know much about drumming, like, in that, like, if someone was like, do you think that drummer's good or not? I could have a very base level understanding of whether I think they're good. Um, I think the, so this that song opens it and uh it added to my stress of what I felt like was going to happen. <laughs> um And also, I guess, gives you a f- an understanding straight away of maybe why he would be losing his hearing. So rapidly um, because he is not wearing any inners um, or any protection whatsoever. And seemingly from like, I think it says that they've been together for four years. I don't know whether it's the, I presume then it's like the band has been active for those four years as previous to this because he also mentions that he's been um, recovering and clean for four years as well. Um, So we don't know much about I guess, what Ruben's life was like before, like no one from his past sort of enters the narrative at any point. Um, I don't like back, Evan. That's fair. I was uh, kind of interested to I? see Lou shows up in Paris at one point. So she goes back to her father in Paris. Her and rich um, father,
0: played by Matthew Almerich. Good exceedingly casting.
2: rich father. They look like they have a really nice gaff. Um, And she's performing solo. Uh, And again, interestingly, in the film, when he goes to click on a video because they kind of they have sneaky emails back and forth and he's not meant to be communicating with anyone, but he checks up on Lou every now and again. And uh, he clicks on a video of her performing in Paris and she's in like some carpeted room. She's on the floor with just um, maybe like a chaos pad type thing. And she's rolling around. Um, you don't hear anything because I think it's a uh, it's common practice for people from the deaf community to keep all their devices on silent anyway. Um, so it just shows a video and I'm like, I wonder what it sounds like.
0: Oh, I can guarantee you it does not sound good. <laughs>
2: it, sounds no bad. it doesn't look great. <laughs>
0: I will, I will say, though, while, while I don't
1: like Blackgammon, I think that Olivia Cook does a pretty bloody good job vocally. Um, she does, yeah. It's, absolutely. it's not something that's easy to do, uh, to like, you know, essentially scream or growl or, you know, and, and maintain it. And, and then, you know, you get to contrast it with the fact that she's actually quite a nice singer at the end of the movie. So, yeah, Blackgammon, definitely a big no, but I was very impressed by, the, by her actual performance of singing
0: yeah no that's fair uh, she's good in this uh, I think she has a tough role in that like she's kind of functional in a way like she does disappear for like a good chunk of the movie Comes she's kind of there at the start there at the end and she represents two different kind of I guess stages of Ruben's story by the time they kind of reconnect later in the film it's very clear that this can't last Um, that like they're just on different journeys now, irrespective of his condition. It's just like she's from a different world, and this was only going to last for so long. Uh, do we buy them as a couple? Like, 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 because the the thing about this movie is, um, and I guess we can probably all lay our cards on the table here. I like this film. I wanted to like it more. I didn't have an emotional reaction to it. Is the thing I I thought I would. I was kind of surprised I didn't. I think it's technically brilliant. Think the performances are great. We haven't even talked about Paul Racy, we will in a minute or two. Um but I didn't really just I didn't feel the emotion and and I can be a very, very soft touch, but it just didn't quite come for me. Norma, what was your kind of overall takeaway, really?
2: Yeah, I think I think I probably liked it a little bit more than you did. Um again, like it's rare that I would watch a new film and then give it a second go almost immediately, like, I think within a couple of days I watched it again. But it was probably um, from my own just wanting to know more about the community and sort of like musicians adapting to the deaf community that spurred it on. Um, It definitely just did feel a little bit more emotional by the end of it. It does have a very emotive end point. Um, I don't think we've talked yet about the cochlear implants. Um, So major spoiler alert for anyone who's been following so far. Um, So Ruben pursues getting cochlear implants in order to what he believes will fully restore his hearing. Um, and I think that was the moment where I, I I really had a lump in my throat when he gets, he um, is told that the implant surgery has been successful. So you are kind of waiting for that moment being like she places the implants on his head and it's kind of like, what, oh, my God, what is it? What What is it? He's going to be able to hear. And when it's switched on, it's like staticky again, like the sound design in this is incredible because I'm like, I can't imagine what I think that sounds like to someone. And it's just it's like the way the sound is being filtered. And again, I play on the title of The Sound of Metal. Um, It does sound like something like everything he's hearing is being pushed through chunks of metal. Um, And then his decision by the end of the film to switch off his implants we don't know whether that's a permanent decision but it certainly feels like he's he's realized that the implants were maybe a rushed choice and that he can actually sit with the silence and learn to be um a deaf person in the world and in his own world and be at peace with that um yeah it's a like it's a very uh satisfying ending by the end of it, like it's very much like things feel a little like they are wrapped up quite nicely, but it did just feel like a real triumph by the end of it um, with regard to Paul Racy's character indicates to Reuben that like the deaf community don't regard deafness as a disability. It's just it's a different way of life. It's a different way of communicating. And I certainly felt that at the end um, so yeah, I think I, I I had quite an emotional I didn't cry, but I was kind of like there's a little it was a little mini fist bump at the end where it was just like this this feels like a beautiful journey.
0: Let's actually take a listen to that scene with Paul Racy. As you know, everybody here shares in the belief that being deaf is not a handicap. Not something to fix. pretty important around
2: here
1: all these kids all of us need to be reminded of it every day and my house is a house built on that belief and built on trust and when that trust is violated
0: things happen Today and find another place to be, Ruben. That's Paul Racy there as Joe. Uh, that scene, I think, is a very complex scene. It's about six minutes long, and it's Ruben coming to him to let him know that he's got the surgery, and, you know essentially joe's in a position where he tells him of course i hope it brings you happiness and then ruben kind of starts asking him for money to pay off his debt and he does have very kind of shaky mannerisms and joe's like you know right now you you have the mannerisms of someone who is you know, like in trouble and you're struggling and you're an addict and you're like this is the energy you're, you're giving off is, is 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 concerning and then of course it leads to that moment where um it's an amazing thing because like i was kind of shocked by it because like joe's whole thing of course is you know welcoming and you know not shunning somebody at all and he makes obviously a very tough decision i think paul Racy plays it amazingly he's brilliant in this film he's absolutely devastated like he's betrayed but also aware of ruben's circumstances just wants the best for him and feels like he was coming along incredibly well as a member of the community and obviously like it, it speaks to the film overall i think in terms of its layers and the fact that like it's not so black and white it's just tough and difficult joe in that scene for me is neither good nor bad he's just someone who's very very human and both hurt and hopeful all at once and it's a lot of emotion and again i think the performance by paul racy who i'd never seen anything before is fucking incredible and i think it speaks to kind of what we've been talking about higgs
1: yeah um that scene is it's absolutely remarkable i we i don't know if we, we missed it a little bit at the end where he just like He takes it. He draws in his breath because he's he can like barely breathe when he's asking to Ruben to leave. And yeah, it's he's someone I've never seen before. Like what, like an incredible face. Um, in that scene, I was like, he kind of has like the the kind of tenderness of like how Robert Forster looks, but then also like he he can do things with his eyes that like I haven't seen anyone since like Tommy Lee Jones do. Um, yeah, I was just bowled over bowled over by that um just just on the kind of when ruben comes back with the cochlear implants um the movie's so subjective i found that you were kind of maybe expecting you were kind of like ruben expecting him maybe to get his hearing back and i don't know about you guys but like my only experience of cochlear implants is like you know those videos of like babies who get them and then suddenly it's like this big joyous thing so you're kind of almost uh you're trained to expect this to be a moment where he's like, Oh, maybe he just gets his hearing back and maybe he goes back to playing his drums and the disappointment that he has in that scene is like you know, it's it's devastating. Um and then to follow it up with the with the scene with Joe, um I kinda I kinda wished it wasn't immediately said that he's acting like an addict. I mean, I think that was kind of as given, you know, his his touchiness and his kind of everything was kind of like a quick fix. To, to get the, the you know, it wasn't a hit he was looking to get, but like he had a goal and like he would do whatever he was selling basically his life away to get it. Um, you know, I don't think it necessarily needs to be said, but um I think Joe is being good in that scene. Like you know, you're saying I you don't know if he's been good, he's being bad. I think he does need to send Ruben away because he needs to look after all the people in the shelter. And one of the things uh, a kind of, again, kind of true interviews that Riz Ahmed was talking about is that within the deaf community, that cochlear implants are kind of, for some people, controversial. And there is an idea of deaf pride. And it's kind of seeing is that you're not embracing that. And, you know, people could ultimately make decisions of what they want to do and what works best for them. But for the people that are in uh, Joe's house, under Joe's roof, that's not an option. And kind of having someone like that is not a good force um and you know obviously maybe it's not a good force for for reuben himself but yeah it is a really really heartbreaking scene it's it's really really well done um you know very simply shot but um the two of them are just uh yeah fantastic
0: Norma mentions the ending so Reuben goes off to Paris tracks Lou down they rekindle briefly and again it's a case of Reuben being thrust into this world where he just doesn't quite belong Uh, here's a scene in which Lou sings with her father at a dinner party she's clearly reluctant but kind of has no choice here's what that sounds like So you get the distortion there as well. An example of the incredible sound design in this film. Um, So Ruben's watching on there at the party, kind of on his own. Um, You almost get the sense that he's regarded as a novelty to these people with or without the cochlear implants, which are like visible um, on him. And, you know, I think you feel uncomfortable for him in in this whole world. And I think Lou does as well. Um, They break up shortly afterwards, kind of wordlessly. It's one of those things where they just know, and I thought that was quite well done. Um but for me, like there's a moment at that scene where the camera like zooms in on him and he's staring at her while singing. And like I knew it wouldn't, but if it had a cut to the credits then, I thought that would have been a great ending. I think the ending that we get approximately five minutes later, maybe ten minutes later, is when he goes to the park and he takes out the implants and he looks up at the sky. I mean it's good and I completely understand what you're saying, Norma, like about like it representing the arc for him and the completion of the arc even though it's ambiguous as well to me i just couldn't get beyond the filmmaking element of that i just it, to me it just felt a bit too clean it just felt a bit too like i knew that's what would happen like when that scene began i knew precisely how it would end and i knew the credits were going to arrive and it just didn't wrong foot me whatsoever and i'm being harsh like i mean like i think it is a very well made film i think it's a very 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 good film like i said i didn't have the full emotional connection but if it had just ended abruptly at the party i would have been like yep yeah, there's fucking rules and I was just a little bit let down by the conclusion but maybe I'm being too harsh probably as usual
2: um yeah I don't know because I get what you mean like if it had ended there I do think there is an understanding with the audience at that point that that you kind of know that he he's he he knows the cochlear implants aren't necessarily working for him in his situation um everything has already kind of more or less played out with him and Lou as well so, yeah, it's tricky because that ending, like, it like it is gorgeous. It's it, it is him sitting on the bench and taking at the turning off the implants. Um, yeah, I felt like that, like, you know, but at the same time, I understand why a filmmaker would want to round off that ending and have that moment and have it be that representation of like he did. He did choose to take off the implants and fully embrace um being a member of the deaf community and being deaf by the end of the film. So it didn't I don't think it bothered me as much as it maybe bothered you. But I do get that it is a slightly sweeter Hollywood type ending to the film. Um, But yeah, I guess, yeah, it didn't it didn't worry me as much or bother me in a way.
1: I I like the ending because I think it gives i think i disagree with both of you that it gives a bit of ambiguity i think the the ending that you want dave is a very a very stark one and it's not leaving it's 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 making a very definitive statement if it ended that way as in like this is terrible um this man is miserable while the ending that we get i wouldn't necessarily me see that like just because he turned them off that it means that everything is okay like i I don't really know what is in the future for Ruben stone you know he he's he's made some inroads into particularly with joe's community into you know learning to be deaf but like he's still a recovering addict who has had his livelihood taken away from him um so while in that moment he's found a moment of peace and it's something that kind of that Joe does in the movies, like you need to learn to be still. Um, and he kind of sends him off to the room with the coffee and the, and the donut uh, to like sit in the room and like write for, for hours and to find a stillness. Like he finds it in that moment, but it doesn't necessarily mean that everything is okay for him. Um He still has lots of challenges ahead. Um So I like, the level of ambiguity, although I do agree with you, Dave, I was like, I know this is going to happen. Like, you know, you hear the you hear the street sounds and it's like, well, yeah, I mean, I feel like we, that, the, the, the kind of, and again, it's down to the incredible sound design, particularly when he's at the party before the song is even sung was like when he goes outside and, He's talking with Lou and some friends, and the sound is so oppressive that it's like, it, I, you know, it's it's overwhelming. He can't deal with it, and even as a as a viewer, you're like, this is too much. Please go. You know, you want them to get to get away from it. But yeah, I think there's there's enough ambiguity in it, even though again, like it's it is kind of well signposted. But like for me, that it's kind of just like sticking in the landing quite well.
0: Yeah, I mean, in fairness, like, you know, you you make a good point there. Like, if it ended where I wanted it to end, that arguably is more of a dark ending, more of a condemnation ending, more of a, you know, and like I guess it does... It would probably betray the entire narrative, right, if, if it ended there. But I think it's more that I just wanted a few more questions than answers. And on top of that, um, I don't know, I read an interview with Mads Mikkelsen recently and he said that he's, al- he's always arguing for the darkest ending on his project. So maybe Mads and I are just simpatico this way. The misery uh, boys. <laughs> I'll take it. What a WhatsApp group that would be. Um, right, that's sentimental. end of metal. Uh, any final thoughts in general on the film before we move into what we're going to do next, which is going to be uh, quite the situation? Are, are we like like uh, normally the fact that you watched it twice i mean i don't know if i would revisit it but after this conversation i kind of now want to i mean i didn't it didn't strike me as an immediate rewatch but i'm interested that you that you got so much from it the second time around so quickly
2: yeah i mean like i think if i was going to watch it again i'd probably leave a a longer stretch of time it was more sort of podcast and i guess in a way just like interest driven the the second watch but um but yeah i did i'd like I did really enjoy it and enjoy learning about it and learning from it um and like the performances are absolutely gorgeous and the the sound design is really interesting um for kind of creating a soundscape that I don't have access to and don't know much about either um so I would definitely recommend it to anyone to give it to a listen. Um, I'm interested to see if I could have seen it in the cinema, what it would have felt like. Because, again, I just feel like sometimes watching things at home on your own TV, you're kind of like, it definitely felt a lot closer. So I wonder if I was in kind of a big cinema with lots of other people. Like I watched it alone as well. I wonder what it would be like watching it with an audience in like, say, screen one in the lighthouse and how it would have come across. But yeah, I did really like it. And I, yeah, I think I might watch it again at some point in the future. Probably leave a, a longer, a longer gap now. I've watched it twice. And it's, what, is it a two hour film? It's about uh, two hours.
0: Is
1: it two hours? Oh, okay, I okay, it's two hours on the button. Yeah. yeah. Okay.
2: Um, and yeah, it's not necessarily like there's a, there's no other music in it. There's nothing, there's no other sounds or anything else like that to embellish it. So it is very much like that story and what it has to give. And I think... The film does have a lot of a lot to give and a lot to offer, and it definitely gets it across
1: fully immersive, you, yeah Higgs you mentioned the rewatch norma um, I, yeah, I probably will i, I don 't think i 'm going to go straight into it, but I will revisit it. I actually did watch it with headphones on um and would recommend if you haven 't watched it to go back because we 've kind of mentioned that the, the the sound design is like is very good in this, but it 's like it 's kind of um, revelatory some of the stuff that they did um just in terms of like. You know, it seems like you know when the clips that we've played, like that, you know, it's essentially just like you just record it and you bang it into Pro Tools, and then you start messing with some levels, and then Bob's your uncle. There is your sound design, but um, it won the Oscar uh, deservedly so. Um, and there is some like there is some very good uh, interviews with Nicholas Becker, who was kind of like the, the lead on the sound design, just in terms of like what they did and like how they how they got. Um, how they got the sound uh, in terms of what microphones they use like they were using microphones that you'd use to find oil you know and put like putting it on like a skull and seeing what happens and putting microphones inside Rez Ahmed's mouth like I think that like if that wasn't done right in this movie this would not work particularly in the scenes with the deaf community in Joe's house just like how kind of cacophonous the sounds can be sometimes of like them actually signing and like making noise with their hands like hitting uh normally you reference that dinner table scene which i think is great cuz they're being really really loud you know and like you know animated and um yeah it just gives it like this incredibly uh lived in feel um so yeah just if you if you have watched it or if you're going to watch it even though we've kind of spoiled the ending yeah pop the headphones <laughs> on it's not something i'd normally say to do but because um, normally I kind of just like to have the sound kind of you know hit me from whether it's in the screen in the cinema or whether it's at home and you kind of want it to be loud but like the concentration in this um, I think is definitely worth doing
0: yeah absolutely you yeah, know I headphones for me all the way for sure and yeah a uh, fascinating film an interesting discussion, and we we threw up a spoiler warning early doors. So anyone who listened all the way through, you know, they had their chance. But still, go watch it. Uh, right, next time on No Popcorn, we'll pivot to a very different world altogether. And I'm delighted to announce that joining us, making his No Popcorn debut, will be my No Encore co-host and brother, Craig Fitzpatrick. Now, if we're gonna get Craig on the show. Uh, it's got to be something of interest. I think, in particular, something that might well provoke reaction from him. So, let's is there a Steely Dan movie? Is that what we're doing? <laughs> <again? Yeah. laughs> uh, that is not what we're doing. Instead, is there this <laughs> Guided by Voices documentary? No, even better. Uh, <laughs> this is what we're doing next. Robbie Krieger, guitar player. John Densmore, percussionist. Twenty-two years old.
1: Uh, Far out. Uh, Pamela Morrison, ornament. Raymond Daniel Manzarek. One, 2, 12,
2: position.
1: Name, occupation? Uh, Jim. You know, night. Night Sides
2: are being chosen. The planet is screaming for change. Morrison, we got to make the myths.
1: Oh! The Indians say the first shaman invented sex. They call him the one who makes you crazy.
2: I'm the Lizard King! I can do anything!
1: Jim Morrison, the god of rock.
0: That's right, it's Oliver Stone's The Doors. Uh, Craig, of course, um, despises The Doors, perhaps more than any other band of all time, so this had to happen, but Dave Higgins was the one who picked this poison. How do you feel?
1: I'm very excited. I think I've been actively campaigning for us to do this for... Maybe two years now. I think after we did like the first couple of episodes and we were we were kind of talking about, you know, doing future ones and like getting people on and like, who could we get on to do what? I've just been like the whole time I've been like, we have to do The Doors and it has to be Craig. Well, (laughs) so I'm very excited. It's a movie I, I think I saw on TV when I was maybe a little bit too young Um, haven't revisited it. Yeah, it just seems like it's a weird kind of outlier, I think, even within Oliver Stone's filmography. It doesn't seem like the kind of thing that he would have done. It's got lots of great uh, actors in it. Colin McLachlan.
0: Tom walken's in it yeah val kilmer um, of course plays the lizard king jim morrison himself i've never seen it i think it was <laughs> on in my house when i was younger it also i should say and again seeing as i'm mr streaming plug it has been recently added to netflix so now's the time i messaged craig right before the show and i was like how are you feeling about doing this and he was like all right go on yeah and i was like two weeks from now he's like yep yeah, fine so he's hyped anyway oh
2: uh, um, exciting <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm sure he'll be uh, witheringly charismatic, but to be fair, like it's right no encore. Like any time the doors comes up, Craig always gets some serious digs in, and like he's not the most caustic. I'm usually that guy, so I'm just really excited. Like I might even make him host this episode. You know, I want to just kind of sit back and let him spin the roulette wheel. Uh, it's on Netflix. I think it's two hours and twenty minutes. It's an Oliver what? Stone film. Yeah, it's long.
2: Oh, uh, <laughs> fuck. <I've> never- <laughs>
1: that's nothing to a man who's just watched the last days of american crime exactly
0: i have trained for this okay uh norma howard dave higgins sound of metal no popcorn dave van raddy thanks for listening this is a really good episode i can't wait for the doors in the meantime go watch sound of metal take care bye bye
2: Introducing Peacock, the new free streaming service from NBC Universal. It's hit movies, current shows, live sports, trending bits, and timeless hits.
1: And that's why you can't not watch. Peacock. Watch for free. Upgrade for more. Stream now at PeacockTV.com. Law & Order SVU streaming now.